Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I'm David, and welcome back to another Mojo Minute. This is a special week here at the Mojo Academy. It is Liberty Week where we are focusing on those things that help us make, help us to live actually a flourishing life in our nation. In our last Mojo Minute, we tackled the New York Times and how, as the paper of a record in the United States and the world, they have completely been deceiving many millions and millions of people. Be sure to check out that Mojo Minute. And one of the central tenets of living a flourishing life is the search for and discovery of the truth. That's objective truth, not your truth and my truth. That type of truth is a modern, is a postmodern fallacy. But objective truth in any subject, we can almost always find objective truth. If it can't be found, we can certainly rule out many other theories to get closer to that truth. And in today's Mojo Minute, we explore how for the last 40 or so years, American students who have read the history of Howard Zinn's tragic textbook, The People's History of the United States, have learned numerous falsehoods. And it's no wonder now why they have a flawed idea of what our American history is and was. As a longtime editor, Roger Kimball says of the Zen book, Zen's book, quote, has probably done more to poison the minds of history school students than any other work of history, unquote. How tragic. And Emory University professor of politics and history, Harvey Clare, writes that, quote, Zen is taken seriously as a historian is a very sad commentary on the teachers who rely on his fantasies and a terrible disservice to the students who are forced to read it, unquote. Now, some backstory and context about Howard Zinn is required here. Howard Zinn was a Marxist believer through and through. There's no doubt about his radical politics. He was a demagogue for sure. And if I were to say something positive about him, I'm sure he was charismatic in his own right. Zinn, though, as a historian, was constantly reshuffling the good guys and the bad guys based on his warped view and reading of history. That's most regrettable. That's terrible. That's getting the truth wrong or not even getting close to the truth. Now, Zinn portrays himself as the only historian Dorian willing to do the original research, but in fact, he doesn't do any, doesn't perform any original research. He lifts large quotes from previously deeply held Marxist historians. And frankly, most Americans don't view the world this way. They innately don't believe in this Marxist rubbish. Now, you could see that on full display in the most recent Virginia governor's race, where many parents of school-age children completely rebelled against the teaching of critical race theory because it's just another Marxist radical view of history. And amazingly, 
Mr. Zinn, Howard Zinn, would all of his life deny communism was his major political belief. And how he thought the way he did. In fact, he always denied he was even a member of the Communist Party. I mean, if you're going to write about this stuff some, some, so widely, you're going to have to own who you are and what you believe, right? That's what I would think. But in his own autobiography, the title of which is quite illuminating, the title is called You Can't Be Neutral. Let's start with just one of the first sentences. <laughs> it's the very first sentence of his autobiography. Quote, the history of all hitherto existing society is the history of class struggle, unquote. I don't know. Call me crazy, but that phrase, that's, that sentence right there sounds an awful lot like Karl Marx and Frederick, Frederick Engels from their book, The Communist Manifesto, right out of the gate. And he goes on to say, Quote, undeniably true, verifiable in any reading of history, certainly true for the United States, despite all the promises of the Constitution. He's talking about the history of class struggle. Later on, he would say the communist system would lead to, quote, a rational, just economic system, which would allow a short work day and leave everyone freedom and time to do as they liked to write poetry, to be in nature, to play sports, to be truly human. Nationalism would be a thing of the past, and people all over the world, of whatever race, of whatever continent, would live in peace and cooperation, unquote. Peace and cooperation all over the world, huh? Mr. Zinn, communism has never produced peace or economic equality anywhere it's been tried. The free nations all over the world have documented this numerous times over and over. Nevertheless, you get a sense of where Howard's in and where he's coming from, especially in his corrupt history textbook of people's history of the United States. Now, Mary Graybar has finally written a book that details how Zinn has pulled off this historical heist. And she's done it in her book called Debunking Howard Zinn, exposing the fake history that turned a generation against America. Now, if you didn't want to check out the book, which I think you should, but you could also just Google Howard Zinn's heirs because there's so many people that have been speaking up about this historical rubbish. Nevertheless, we at the Mojo Academy, we like books, so we're going to uh, cover Mary Graybar's excellent book because it's a one-stop shop detailing America's fascinating story and how bad you can get that history wrong, completely wrong, just crazy wrong, by Mr. Howard Zinn. Now, here's one example, because I'm living in Columbus, Ohio, this particular lie has really stuck out to me when I first heard it, and it continues to go on. And it's the need to abolish Columbus Day. Why? Because Columbus so-called exploited the Native Americans. Let's go to Graybar in her book. Quote, 
Zen found the inspiration for the dramatic, dramatic opening sentences of a people's history. Quote, the Arawak men and women, naked, tawny, and full of wonder, emerged from their villages onto the island's beaches and swam out to get a closer look at the strange big boat. When Columbus and his sailors came ashore carrying swords, speaking oddly, the Arawaks ran to greet them, brought them food, water, gifts. He later wrote of this in his log, quote, They brought us parrots and balls of cotton and spears and many other things, which they exchanged for glass beads and hawks bells. They willingly traded everything they owned, unquote. This quoted passage from Columbus's log, ship log, continues with Columbus's description of the Arawak. They were well-built and handsomely featured. Having never seen iron, they accidentally cut themselves on the European swords when they touched them. The passage ends with Columbus, Columbus's now infamous words, quote, They have no iron. Their spears are made out of cane. They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we, sub we could subject, subject them all and make them do whatever we want, unquote. Now there's, or still staying with the book, the ellipses in this passage are Zin's, not mine. And as we shall see, those omissions are essential to Zin's dishonest retelling of the Columbus story. By leaving out crucial words of the quotation, Zin makes Columbus say something very different from what he actually said, unquote. So based on Howard Zinn's retelling of the Columbus voyage to the New World, it was all about subjecting the Native Americans into slavery and to enrich himself with gold. Let's go back to the book, Graybar's book. In fact, that is far from the truth. European efforts to find a sea route to Asia had been going on for hundreds of years. As William and Carla Phillips point out in The Worlds of Christopher Columbus, Columbus's voyage of discovery was a continuation of Europeans' ventures of sailing to Asia, at first around Africa, that had begun in 1291. For centuries before Columbus, Portuguese and Spanish explorers have also ventured far, farther and farther out into the Atlantic Ocean. Spain had one particular pressing reason, quite apart from greed for gold, for sailing to East Asia. As Andrew G. Bostom, quoting Louis Bertrand's 1934 book, The History of Spain, pointed out in a Columbus Day 2018 post on PJ Media, Columbus sought Eastern, even Far Eastern alliances to end a millennium of Islam's jihad-imposed tyranny against Christendom. When the Spanish Christian monarchs Ferdinand and Isabella recaptured Grenada on January 2nd, 1492, they ended almost eight centuries of jihad ravages, massacres, pillages, mass enslavement, and deportation under Muslim rule. As Bertrand describes it, the situation faced by the Spanish was expel the foreigner or be expelled by him. Thus, 
Columbus's mission was multifaceted, inspired by m- several different motivations. Quote, to reach the East Indies so as to take Islam in the rear into a, effect an alliance with the great Khan, a mythical personage who was believed to be sovereign over all that region and favorable to the Christian religion, and finally to diffuse Christianity throughout the unknown continent and to trade with traditional sources and to trade with the traditional sources of gold and spices, unquote. Ah, did you catch one of the main motivations after for Columbus's uh, voyages? After recapturing Grenada in January 2nd, 1492, they ended almost eight centuries of jihad ravages, massacres, pillages, mass enslavement, and deportation under Muslim rule. Wow. Howard Zinn, as a historian, did you explore that motivation? And by the way, could you have referenced the Arab slave trade that went on for over 13 centuries? It's largely been forgotten. Can anybody write about that slave trade as well? Now back to Columbus and his exploitation for golds, for gold and riches. Let's go back to the book. Desires to find new lands for more resources and to escape enemies and persecution are not impulses unique to Europeans. The natives of North America in, quote, prehistoric times themselves came from Asia. They crossed the land bridge. They they crossed the land bridge across the Bering Strait to the lands of the Western Hemisphere. When he encountered naked natives instead of the Asian merchants he was expecting, Columbus did not jump to thoughts of working them to death for gold, as Zinn suggests, unquote. Let's go back to the book. For example, in his log entry for October 12, 1492, Columbus wrote, I warned my men to take nothing from the people without giving them something in exchange, unquote. Notably, Howard Zinn left that passage out of his book. And we now know that Native Americans weren't the first inhabitants of North or Central America. They came by a land bridge, and most likely they killed the peoples that were here before them. And perhaps if we would be seeking out the truth, we could write some books about that era and explore the motivations of the Native American people and coming across the land bridge from Asia. Now back to our first quote from Zinn that he takes out of context that Columbus wrote in his long, in his log book, quote, they would make fine servants. That's what Zinn totally runs with. It's totally out of context. Back to the book. The omission right before they would make fine servants is particularly dishonest. Here's the nub of what Zinn left out. Quote, I saw some people who bore marks of wounds on their bodies, and I made signs to them to ask how this came about. They indicated to me that people came from other islands which are near and wished to capture them, and they defended themselves. And I believed and still believe that they had come here from the mainland to take them for slaves, unquote. Jeez. So Columbus is actually trying to be 
the right guy here and more from the book. This is Graybar's book. In his translation of Columbus's logbook, Robert Fusion discusses the context that Zinn deliberately left out, quote, the cultural unity of the Teneo, the name for this particular tribe, which Zinn, with which Zinn labels the Arawaks, greatly impressed Columbus. Those who see Columbus as a founder of slavery in the New World are grossly in error. This thought occurred to Samuel Ellett Morrison and many others who misinterpreted a statement made by Columbus on the first day in America when he said the they, the Indians, ought to be good servants. In fact, Columbus observed, offered this observation in explanation of an earlier comment he had made theorizing that people from the mainland came to the islands to capture these Indians as slaves because they were so docile and obliging, unquote. So all of this is still on the first few pages of Howard Zinn's book. It's, it's just a cartoon of history, just full of lies and innuendo. Finally, Graybar pulls the real motivation from Columbus's own log books in meeting the Native Americans. Quote, but literally the first, but literally the explorer's first concern was the hope that he expressed in the initial comment about the natives in his log was for the Indians, freedom and their eternal salvation. I want the native. This is a quote from Columbus's logbook. I want the natives to develop a friendly attitude towards us because I know that they are people. They are a people who can be made free and converted to our holy faith more by love than by force. Unquote doesn't sound like a person who's trying to enslave people. This is just a very small, small sample, but you get the idea. And I would strongly encourage you to read Graybar's book. She does a great job of debunking this horrific textbook. But sadly, it's a textbook that sold over two and a half million copies. And it's no wonder young people are so angry about our country because they've been taught and filled with lie upon lie. Now, here's the ultimate kicker. Zinn's opening quote about Columbus and the American Indians weren't his original research. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, seriously. He pretty much, this is Zinn, he pretty much plagiarized them from a guy named Hans Koenig. Or Hans Koning, I'm sorry. Hans Koning wrote a high school textbook titled Columbus, his enterprise exploding the myth. And here's where Graybar's research is fascinating. Quote, Koning's book is the source for Zinn's indictment of Columbus, which is the opening gamut or the opening gambit. I'm sorry, of a people's history. The first five and a half pages of a people's history of the United States are little more than slightly altered passages from Columbus, his enterprise, the Coning book. The text on pages one through three of, of a people's history, Zinn's opening narrative about how Columbus cruelly exploited the generosity of the Arawak tribe is paraphrased mostly from Columbus's passages 5158, 51 through 58. From the middle of Zinn's page three to the middle of page four, he follows Kooning's pages 59 through 70. 
Then on the bottom half of page four and the top of page five, he uses Koning's pages 82 through 84. Zinn lifts wholesale from Koning the very same quotations of Columbus, unquote. So there you go. <laughs> Howard Zinn writing lies and then plagiarizing those lies as his own. You can't make it up. Graybar goes on and on in the book, but you get the point. So in today's Mojo Minute, and most especially during our celebration of Liberty Week, let's always try to read professional historians that have no other agenda than to seek out the objective truth. I know they're very hard, or they're, they're much harder and harder to find these days. If you want to learn more about Christopher Columbus, um, you can get a much more balanced portrayal from Samuel Elliott Morrison's Admiral of the Ocean Sea. It was written in the 1940s, but there are a lot of great folks out there republishing those close to classic works. It was actually republished in 2008, and there's now an audible book format of that Admiral of the Ocean Sea. And another book, Columbus by Felipe Fernandez Armesto, was another good book recommended to me by a librarian when I asked about staying close to the primary documents and writing a biography about Columbus. Evidently, she had read this biography. It was written in 1992. And in terms of just general history, um, a book I can recommend, we have covered it in a previous podcast, Wilford McClay's The Land of Hope, An Invitation to the Great American Story, is one such book. It was written in 2019. It's gotten great reviews from all over the spectrum. And we'll be covering more and more professional historians on these podcasts. Especially those who respect the truth as they discover it, who seek the truth in their studies and in their writing. Because the American story is more diverse and more equally enthralling than most people know. Howard Zinn's shameful distortion of the facts of American history and his blunt message that Americans should be ashamed of their history should be outright rejected. We're certainly flawed. No one's saying we are a saint. We certainly had a flawed history, but we constantly, decade by decade by decade, are trying to make this a better country. And that's enjoyed by most Americans. So thank you, Mary Graybar, for setting the facts straight and writing this book. Howard Zinn's shameful book should not be taught in any American school any longer. It's complete indoctrination. And finally, we should know in this week of liberty that we're celebrating here at the Mojo Academy that America is an exceptional country, despite all the naysayers out there. And let's pray, God, that we will continue to seek out the real history and the real truth. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com, where we have everything we discussed in this podcast, as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on.
Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book, packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually six to nine pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.